Hi, everybody, and welcome to the True Potential Do More With Your Money podcast. This is episode 27, and it is Friday, the 24th of July. Uh, delighted to be joined today by Chris Leyland, by David Harrison, by Peter Bould, and a debutant, but by no means a uh, debutant of True Potential, uh, Neil Johnson. Uh, welcome, Neil. Um, um, just in case, I, I think everybody, obviously, Neil, you've been one of the senior partners, one of the original five at True Potential, uh, helping us set the firm up. But just for some of our clients who maybe uh, haven't followed True Potential's background over the last few years, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and what your role is at TP? Yes, no problem, Dan. So I look after financial and legal matters at True Potential. So as Dan mentioned there, I was one of the founders, one of the five founders back in 2007. And we're still all going strong. Uh, prior to that, I was at uh, Positive Solutions. And uh, many years ago, I worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers and qualified as an accountant back in 1990. So I'm a, a chartered accountant of 30 years standing now, Dan. Well, we're not going to hold that against you, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I haven't been on before. <laughs> no, apologies. That's, a, that, that's the one and only cheap accounting joke, Neil, that I make. <laughs> Best behaviour from now on. I can't, I can't make promises for the rest of the panel, however. Um, so, so today, ladies and gentlemen, what we wanted to cover was uh, a Q&A roundup, really. We've, we've, we've had a mix of questions in from yourself. So thank you, as always, for, for the input um, and, and for coming up with some topics. Um, quite a broad range of topics today. We're going to be speaking about everything from kind of masks in shops through to the economy through to uh, the United States and Kanye West. But we'll... We'll move on to that in about five, 10 minutes time. But I think just before we do that, we'll, we'll stick to our normal kind of agenda. And Chris, uh, representing the investment management team today, could you let us know what this week has had in how well held for us? Yeah, sure, Dan. It's, it's been, um, been a really interesting week, actually. I think the big event is the approval of the pandemic purchase program in Europe. So that's basically 750 billion euros of a mixture of free grants, but also loans to the individual European states. That's been good for European equities. So European equities have been positive over the week. Um, I'd say other equity, other regions have probably been a little bit more mixed. But I think some of the things that have interested me um, are currency, but also gold as well. So what you've seen is, is US dollar weakness. So US dollar, as I'm sure a lot of people will know, has, has actually been very strong over the long term. And what you've seen is with the spike in infection rates over the past few weeks, you've seen some US dollar weakness come through. So if you look at sterling US dollar now, it's around about 127, which probably sounds quite low if you've not been following exchange rates over the past few years, but it is a little bit higher than it has been. And also the euro has been quite strong as well. So this week, you've seen the euro appreciate around about 2% against the dollar. And that's on the back of the pandemic purchase program. So what I talked about before, which, which has been good. Um, I think the final thing is gold. You know, gold for me this year has been, been really, really interesting. What you've seen is it's outperformed on the downside. So when equity markets have fallen in February and in March, it, act as, it acted as a genuine hedge against equity market falls overall. But also, it's actually outperformed when equity markets have been rising. So what you've seen is with all the different stimulus packages, rescue packages, 
some investors becoming a little bit nervous about a return to inflation over the medium to long term. So gold's a hedge against that. I think finally this week, um, what happens is when you see US dollar weakness, it's positive for overseas buyers of gold because gold is priced in US dollars. Therefore, what you've seen is is gold up. It's just under 5% over the week. So um, as usual, lots going on in investment overall and generally quite a positive week for multi-asset overall, which is great. Thanks, Chris. Um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll get on to talk about the, the, the strength of the euro and, and, and gold as being a commodity and asset that we hold a lot later uh, as, as, as we go on today. Um, but let's um, let, let, let's let's move to some of the questions first, and then we can we can follow back on to that introduction, Chris. So I think that let's let's stay in Europe, um, and let's look at what other European countries are doing at the moment. And we've got a question saying some EU countries seem to be doing better than others economically and socially, I think as well. So what can the UK learn from them? I think if, maybe if I, if I kick it off, give you some context in Spain, gentlemen, and then. Um, and, and then we can move across and see what's happened in the UK and what we're seeing elsewhere. So Spain now, it's been mandatory for uh, two weeks. To, you've got to wear a face mask at all times in public, both indoors and out. Um, so not just in the shops, um, but even if when you're walking around in the streets and things like that. And what I'd say is, you know, where, where I am, it's, it's quite a small village. You could probably get away with not wearing a mask if you wanted to. There's, you know, very very little in terms of police presence and what have you here. But every day I've been going for a walk in the town, um, saying hello to everybody, and everybody's doing it. Everybody's wearing the masks at all times, full full kind of compliance, so to speak. And that's in a little town. I was across at the beach last Sunday. Um, you don't have to wear your mask when you're sat on the beach, um, but you do have to wear your mask when you're walking on the beach, which is quite surreal. And that's the only time I think I've ever... I've, I've, notice a bit of uncomfortableness wearing one because it was hot on the beach as well you know it was kind of in the 30s there so to me like looking at the united kingdom from spain and, and reading some of the kind of the moaning and the ranting going on I, I i can't quite understand the kickback which is going on in the uk right now about having to wear a mask because you know that that that's arrived today i believe in the uk and in shops um so my perspective is it's it's fine. If, if, if you put up with it in high 20s, mid 30s, which is where the temperature's been most of the time here, yeah, I think in the UK we should certainly be able to put up with it in probably mid-teens mid in the weather in, in typical July. Um, is, is, am I reading that right, gentlemen? Is, is there some kickbacks at the moment about masks? I don't know, Daniel. <clears throat> I'm not certain. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty cynical about the, the quality of news reporting that we're getting. Um, I think that it's, uh, journalists are at the worst when it comes to these sort of things, British journalists in particular. Um, I, the, the, your average Spanish person, I think, is probably more compliant. And they, they, you know, we've got a lot of experience in Spain. They probably do obey the laws. Um, better than we do. I think in general, I think that, that, that I, I, well, I know that is the case. I know they're absolutely scared of the police yeah. where you live, where you, where you are, and the nearest town, the nearest city. Um, I, I, I know that to be the case where I don't know if that is the case in 
Newcastle or places like London, um, etc. Um, however, um, you know, I think we said in this program, certainly on record, way back February, March, uh, when Trump was saying we shouldn't be wearing, you know, don't wear masks and all this. Um, I, I did say to my family in that, I think it would be a good idea in any case to always wear masks. <clears throat> and the reason for that statement is that it reminds people that there is still a virus there. Right? The, the, it, more than anything else, it's kind of obvious that you know you're not walking around in Hong Kong or places or wherever. Where um, once again, you know, when you <laughs> or, or China, where once again, when you go on foot, we hardly ever saw people with masks on. But when you see, you know, before the virus, when you see the news, you see people wearing masks on all the time in these places. So uh, you, you know, I. I there's nothing beats being on the ground and seeing it um, face to face. And certainly, um, you know, if somebody came up to me without a mask on right now, um, I'd back right away from them. Um, just from the point of view, like a lot of the majority of British people, we're not worried about, we know we're going to catch something, we're going to catch it. Um, but it, it's just socially the right thing to do. It's like staying in the house. It's just the right thing to do. We don't know who's right and we don't know who's wrong. We don't have the government's right or wrong, but a statement such as, I know there's a virus because I've got a mask on, I think doesn't do any harm. And, and for obvious reasons, it stops you coughing and spitting and, and sneezing on other people and, and they on you. So I, I I wouldn't believe what you're reading, what, what you're watching on the news, frankly. I, I, I uh, and I was appalled the other day. They, they couldn't find any more bad news in Britain about it, so they went to India, okay, to 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 depress us further about the Indian. And I think all it was missing was a follow-up that that was our fault because it used to be a colony of Britain. And if it hadn't been a British colony, it'd have been okay. That that's that's the thread of news that's going on at the moment. That they're looking for something, then they're looking for somebody who's no longer around to blame for it. And frankly, it's just a virus. The blame is the virus. It's a, it's a bug. That's that's the point. And people have to, I think people do. People know that. They know it's not a person. Um, and I, I, there was a, such a carry on on the news last night, Daniel, just if you missed it, which was, you know, um, a, a, a total construction, right? totally constructed by the news editor to make you think that there was going to be a problem. Mm. So basically they said, you've got to wear a mask when you're going in a cafe to get a takeaway. But if you sit down, you don't wear a mask. Mm. Can't you say how people get confused? You think, well, they'd be confused to try and drink a cup of coffee with a mask on. That would be confusing. You know, <laughs> of course they're not going to be confused by it. Yeah. Why would you be confused? What's confusing about that? And then the search for a sergeant. So we had Sergeant Plod from the Yorkshire Constabulary Police Federation saying, well, we won't be able to police this. And I felt like saying, well, nobody's asking you, big idiot. Who's asking you? You're a sergeant somewhere in Yorkshire. Now you're the spokesman for the, 
UK police, no, but we've found you. We found somebody who's willing to come on the programme, right, from Yorkshire and tell us that the police in the UK won't be able to police this. You don't want it to police. You want it to be like Spain or anywhere else where there's a civilised society that says, just wear the masks. Just yeah. want to wear masks on most of the time. But when you sit down to have a cup of tea or something to eat, you can drop the mask because you find it very difficult to eat and drink with the mask on. Yeah. I, I just don't understand. You have to be, you've got to be a cretin or a politician, not or a reporter, not to understand what is pretty damn clear. And most of the instructions have been pretty damn clear throughout. There have been a few unclear ones, but I, I just, I think we can get carried away by it. I think uh, it won't be an issue, unless somebody wants to have a riot over it, in which case, fine. The police can uh, earn their, their, their rise, by the way, by actually dispelling people who are behaving unlawfully rather than kneeling down next to them or patting them on the head. That, that's, that's how viruses get spread, by that kind of stuff going on. They're pretty damn close when they're, when they're, when they're riding. Um, and, and, and that is antisocial behaviour on a dangerous scale. By the way, I have no great love of the police or whatever. I just don't think right, that it's an issue. I think there's an issue with the British press looking for bad news anywhere they must be they must be absolutely appalled at the moment because i i, I don't know how many people died yesterday or whatever but the other bit of crazy news is sold with our friends public health england is that i hadn't realized but did you know that if you had you know if you were tested positive say in february or march and you, to paraphrase what Neil said yesterday, sorry, Neil, but, um, you go and you get knocked over by a bus today, you will be down on their statistics as dying from COVID-19. If, if you have a heart attack, it's because of that COVID-19. Right? I, I think not only that, I, I, you know, if you, if you begin to tell lies like that in public office, that, that's astonishingly stupid behavior. That's astonishingly stupid way of putting together statistics because what it's doing is prolonging and giving misleading, you know, you, you wouldn't know, would you, if the work that you're doing now is, is working because something that happened at any point in the last few weeks or months can be impacting. If you're an old age pensioner, somebody in a home who is due to die, that, that sounds awful, but you know, your time is up. Um, but you got COVID and you recovered early in the year, you're down as a COVID statistic, which I think is disgraceful. Not the same in Scotland, Wales, Ireland, and, uh, but very much the case in, in this country. Thanks, Derek. Um, Neil, we bring you in at this stage, Neil. Um, and we'll stay on the public health side of things. I know you, you have you know, friends and uh, um, who, who work in the medical side of things as well. Um, what, what, what's their opinion? What, what, what views have they been sharing on, on recent updates with you? Uh, I think, Dan, you know, going back a few months, you know, there was this great concern about PPE and, um, you know, GP surgeries and others just having to, you know, jump in and, and sort themselves out, really, with these big shortages that went on. And, you know, that's that's obviously washed through now. I think one of the issues now is, is um, 
you know, some of the, the planning around catching up some of these waiting lists now and backlogs of people looking for screening, looking for tests. And you've had this situation where whole hospitals, for example, the Nuffield Hospital in Newcastle were, were set aside, um, you know, during the crisis. And, you know, the, the, the wishes of, of consultants and medics to carry on, uh, you know, doing examinations, doing procedures, they just didn't have the facilities. So a lot of, I think, you know, like a lot of these things, the overall planning and Public Health England have, have played a, a poor role in all of this. Um, and underneath it, you've got you've got the medics, you've got the doctors and nurses, you know, trying to get to the right place and trying to, you know, achieve the right results. Um, but some of that, you know, macro level planning has, has been very poor and has got in the way and has caused a lot of these problems. So, uh, you know, I noticed yet the other day in the in the, um, the parliamentary committee that the, the government was, you know, there's a lot of implicit criticism of Public Health England saying they weren't really equipped or there weren't the body to deal with this on this scale, which is quite a damning indictment, really, because they've got all the funds, all the resources. But the, what the politicians were saying was they just didn't you know, make the right moves. They didn't do the right planning. They didn't make the right moves around things like testing very early. Um, and as a result, you know, we, we've had a, a poor outcome. So I think, um, you know, maybe some of these things easy with hindsight, but also at the time people saying, look, you know, there's, there's some obvious things that should have been organised, should have been done quicker and should have been moved, you know, in a much more agile fashion rather than this idea of, well, let's make sure with the testing that it's all done within an NHS Public Health England approved facility and everything has to be localised into one facility. Whereas if you look at the, you know, you mentioned there about the EU and so on, if you look at the German model and the more federal models and disaggregated models, they're looking out to the private sector, they're looking out to the regions and immediately they have this, you know, huge coverage in terms of things like testing, which we're, you know, we, we spent many weeks and months well behind the curve on that. And that has implications across all the public health. So, you know, you have people in hospitals, you know, they're wanting to perform an operation and they're told that the patient coming in can't be tested. Um, so, you know, there's two aspects to that. One is there's a huge risk to the patient if they're having, say, a general anaesthetic and they've got the virus. That's that's a massively risky thing, which you'd never want to expose a patient to. And then, of course, the medical staff as well could be exposed. So where these things have been slow, uh, you know, you've tended to compound a problem. Thanks, Neil. And 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 you're right, though. I, again, reading the news and stuff, I'm, I'm I'm reading a lot more kind of criticism of Public Health England now com coming out. So, Peter, do you think that kind of does that tend to happen through via ministerial leaks as well, kind of briefing briefing reporters? Do you think, or or are they being a bit more overt with it? And, and the second question, I think, linked to that is. Do you think that this government would or have the have the capacity or have the kind of bottle, so to speak, to take on a huge bureaucratic organisation like Public Health England and maybe kind of slim it down for good or, or, or remove some of these kind of poor decision makings and lack of agility, which which Neil's referenced there? Um, I think it's. It's interesting that MPs and ministers have just gone off on, I think, six weeks holiday. Well, probably could have done with them saying, "We're not off to, we're not going to have that right now. We've just had months <laughs> on end of being remote. We could actually do with sorting this out. That might be a good, 
they may, they may be married to teachers who have had a very, very tough time of it, teaching two or three children in a class and sending stuff out via email to everybody else to allow everybody else to do their job for them. Obviously, teachers have had a really tough time. They're knackered. They're off a seven weeks holiday, Peter. Uh, don't you dare criticise the MPs uh, and, 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 uh, and the teaching bodies and people with very, very long holidays. I wouldn't dream of it. I wouldn't dream of it, David. I would leave that up to you. Uh, <laughs> but no, I think <laughs> I think um, you're quite right, Neil. And what you, you said, and David alluded to it as well, is there's a lot of public, you know, public bodies, whether it's the World Health Organization or Public Health England, and and some of these organisations that really exist for one purpose: to stop this kind of thing happening. And they've come up short. And I think in the end, politics is a a grown-up um, thing. It's for grown-ups, and ministers' heads will be on the chopping block eventually, or they'll get booted out. But, but there's a lot of questions, I think, behind the scenes of what actually was the value that you added some of these organisations? Did you actually, you know, we were told at the start by the chief scientific officer that if we ended up with 20,000 deaths, it sounds like an awful thing to say, but that would almost be like, you know, the best worst case scenario. And it's ended up being well over double that. Um, and I suspect there are big, big questions behind the scenes of are we being, are those numbers being accounted for correctly? They could do with someone like Neil probably to go in and have a fresh look and say, are we topping this up correctly here? Um, but absolutely, you're right. Big questions for some of these organisations. Well, we don't quite know what they do. I mean, Public Health England's been around for years, the World Health Organisation for years. Mm. Would it have been hard to describe in a single sentence specifically what they do other than keep us all well? Well, here was a big challenge and nowhere has it really worked. Well, Peter, a, a part of this, the Sunday Times tried to set out the structure of NHS and it was on, you know, it's a broadsheet. It was on two pages, so it was like an A3 sheet um, with all these different, you know, Public Health England and all the other governing bodies. And then they went, you know, it was, it was actually impossible to follow uh, because it was so complex and so many lines of reporting and responsibility. And, you know, at the top in Public Health England, um, you, you, I think you've got one or two perhaps token medics, but mainly, you know, it's, it's, it's supposed to be a sort of administration and strategic body, um, you know, to bring about all these big picture resource issues. And as you say, they've, they've just not been able to do that through the, the exact period when you'd, you'd want them to step in and sort all these things out. And we have, you know, we have the army doing all the testing now, which it does seem to be quite well organized from what we hear that, you know, these testing stations with the army, it's, it's very efficient because they're very good logistically. But within NHS, as soon as you've got these massive structures, your heart sinks when you look at it because you think, how will that ever respond quickly and effectively uh, to, to a di very difficult situation? Mm. I think, Daniel, uh, everybody in the call, look, when you begin to describe a virus and things like this, in, which, which politicians do, but if they didn't, journalists would in any case. They want to glorify it. They want to make it, you know, uh, they want to up the temperature. So they begin to say war on drugs, war on this, war on terror. You know, war on COVID, you know, stay alert as if you as if you could be alert. I mean, how do you stay alert? You know, what do you do? What do you look for? Well, first of all, you could look for somebody with a mask on because that would tell you there's something going on. That's the only that's in all of this. When 
you know, I used to joke on this program and on other things that I spend my night on the roof of this house, staying alert, looking out for a virus in case it tries to get in, you know, obeying my leader, Boris. There are some structural problems, unfortunately. Peter is alluding to them there, and, and you, you know, I'm allowed to be less gentle, I suppose, than other people, because I actually do, I, I couldn't care less, frankly. Right, here's the issue. The government will not and does not, right, fight the NHS. They're not fighting them, right? The NHS has got in it some of the best doctors in the world, but no better doctors than the doctors in the world. It's got great nurses who are no better than. If you've been treated, which I think some of you have in other countries, you'll testify to that. Doctors and nurses, say in Spain, Spain, I've got very little limited experience there, but in the little village where Danny is at the moment, there's a town less than five minutes away by car, 10 minutes, right? And there is a, a, a small AE kind of facility with a doctor and a nurse there right, through from about eight o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock at night, and on call during the night. A doctor, right? A doctor and a nurse. That's what you need to treat people. Okay, if you've called for an ambulance, you'll get an ambulance, but it's twisty turny. Get there, and there's somebody qualified. And we, I didn't have my little EU card or whatever. It was 37 euros to treat my grandchild. I, it, that's that's what all it was. I paid it. They were absolutely right. They were fantastic, right? Um, and that's a, a story that I can retell on many occasions of different people. They see a doctor very quickly. They don't see somebody goes, hmm, right, go and sit. There's no cues because you don't abuse it. Because by the way, it was 37 euros. Or just put up, oh, Tommy's got a bad thumb. Billy's got a bump in his head. What what, what do you think? He's been sitting there for three hours drinking Lucasade and, and Kit Kats from the vending machines that you lot put in there. You're, war on obesity. Let's have a war on obesity. Well, get rid of the vending machines out of your waiting rooms in your hospitals, right? Give people water fountains. Don't charge them for water. Let them drive in and drive out. Don't charge them to, to bring. And if you've been in an a, in, in A&E department at all, they bring their families in because they know it's going to be a long time. So everybody comes in. So you've got the patient and about two or three other people running around or buzzing around. Yeah, okay. It can be like a, a war zone on a night time when you get drunks, but you get drunks everywhere. Right? If you if you back your police up, you won't get as many drunks coming in. They'll just sort it out and bash them on the head and send them home. Right? There's nothing wrong with it, they're just pissed. Everybody acts like fools when they're drunk. Right? Nobody should have to put up with it. Well, I don't know. Don't put up with it. Get the police to lock them up. Don't put up with it. Don't send them to the hospital to see if they're all right after you put handcuffs on them. Right? The whole thing is this government was specifically voted in, Daniel. I can tell you, Peter can testify, right? Because people were fed up with that kind of behavior for years. Right? 
the, 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 the stalemate of nobody making decisions. And Boris, whether he likes it or not, he came across as somebody who would sort things out. Right? And Sunak is the same. So I, I'm just going to make a statement here, controversial or not. Right? Giving my money away to people that you've already put them on several pedestals because you're scared of them and you want their votes, right, means that you don't get my vote. And here's, here's the test for you. You might find there are more people like me who are just getting on with it, They're like Daniel and Neil, who are running a business that didn't put anybody on furlough, right? We didn't save any money. It's cost us a lot of money to keep the business going, right? We're not getting any money at all. I've got another business that's not had a penny from this, right? We keep paying our taxes. And when I'm paying my taxes and you take that money and you award it to people who haven't done anything to help this thing because you're scared of them and you want their vote, that's cowardly, right? This is a cowardly custard government. They are taking advantage of, taking advantage of people who do as they're told and giving in to people who riot and giving in to people who are in the public sector. We were, were in a previous building, the one we've got, we had a thing called Like Public Health England, okay, exactly the same sort of organisation. It's called the Strategic Health Authority. Can you remember that? Yeah. Strategic Health Authority, quite a big authority. And we're a lot, we're a lot worse off because it's not there. No. It costs 2.3 million to move those people into brand new offices. Why would it charge 2.3 million to get, get them into the office block that we were in. And they had everything that suited them, everything for them, prayer rooms, gymnasiums, their own private canteen. All of that, of course, is very, very necessary for these clever people. And they had two parking spots, empty most of the time. Sometimes I used to park my car in there just for devilment, just to see, get them panicking and running around going, who's parked the car in the chairmanship? But the chairman was never there, neither is the chief executive. In fact, one of them was on permanent sick for two years. Two years, right? And we paid, uh, and, and we paid for an empty car park because they were scared to park there. And every Friday afternoon, that entire park, car park was empty because they work flexi time, you know? I mean, uh, and they come in early and they can have every Friday afternoon off. because. All they're doing is working between each other. And they would come up with strategic messages such as, you know, if, if, if it's important to you, it's important to us, with the nurse with the head on one side. If it's important to you, even though it's just a scratch of your finger, it's important to us. Take your seat and in three hours, we'll see you. This person's got a fractured skull, but if it's important to you to waste our time and everybody else's time, it's important to us. And it's important to us because it's our bloody job. Right? What's important to us is keeping as many of those jobs as possible. That's all that's important to a lot of people in our organisation, which is a betrayal of the people that Neil's talking about who are telling us and him the truth. The facts are there are hardly any cases at all in the hospitals in Newcastle. Correct, Neil? Uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks, there have hardly been any at all, one or two. Yeah, small, small numbers, Dave. Small numbers. Now, where's the reporter showing that? 
Okay. Uh, and the people I feel sorry for, Daniel, are people running care homes and the people who are in there who've been locked in all the way through this. So instead of looking like hard men and coming up with these messages, I mean, they look increasingly silly. I'm just pleased yeah. that daily dose of that, madness that is... One of them under the bus, didn't they, a week or two ago now? Well, and Julie chucked under the bus. Oh, it was a, 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 a disgrace. Um, this is a cowardly government. They're cowards. Talking about, um, David mentioned kind of war and obesity and, uh, and gymnasiums and things. Uh, Chris, gyms finally reopen um, tomorrow, which kind of sounds contrary. You talk about a war and obesity, but you open cafes, bars, and restaurants two weeks before you allow people to go and exercise. Um, is that affecting the economy at all, Chris? Is it is it proven positive? Yeah, I think, you know, the key thing, and this isn't just in the UK, it's throughout the whole of the world, is is the time it takes for people to get back to normal and the time it takes for people to go out to spend money and basically to, to consume. You know, obviously, if you look at the UK, I think the economy, it's, it's two thirds of the economy is, is based on consumption overall. So I think, you know, from my perspective, this is just an example of the UK economy continue to reopen. It's interesting you're talking about the gym, actually, because I, I talked to a couple of the lads that are on the investment team. And, I, and they, these are guys that really enjoy going to the gym. And I said to them, you know, gyms reopen on Saturday. You know, you're going to be there when it opens. And somebody's expecting, actually, most of them to say yes. But a lot of them just said no. They said that they got used to exercising at home, you know, maybe going for a run, going for a bike ride. And a lot of them were actually quite nervous around going back into the gym environment. So they were saying, well, you know, I'd rather give it two weeks just to see how things pan out overall. Um, but in some ways, it's a bit like, you know, a couple of podcasts ago, I was talking about the, the first time I went for lunch in a pub yeah. since the lockdown. And there was no one else in there other than one group of people. And it was just me and my girlfriend. And we thought, you know, someone's going to come in soon. And it was like that the whole time we were there. So I think people have to have confidence to go back to normal. And I think that will take some time. Um, but I know from my perspective, um, I'm a member of a, a local gym here. And I'm not sure if I'm going to go this weekend. It's something I've been thinking about quite a bit. I don't know if I should wait and see see how yeah. things pan out. I, I think with gyms as well, there can be such different kind of layouts and things like that. So yeah. if you think the type of gym I go to, say, like a, a CrossFit gym, so they call it a box. They tend to be a large industrial unit, uh, rubber matting kind of. So there's plenty of space there, and you have your, 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 your equipment there. So to speak, that's very different to say something like a, a 24-7 fitness where it's row upon rows of running machines and kind of machine machine weights and things like that. So it's it's quite different because um, I, I know from speaking to some of my friends who go to CrossFit, they're probably going to go to a class this weekend or certainly one. Because I mean, naturally, because of the equipment, you know, tend, I don't know if anybody's ever seen CrossFit before, but you kind of, you're lifting large weights above your head and decking them and things. So Social distance is always happening in a CrossFit gym because always you end up with a weight drop on your head. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, versus, you know, I don't think I'd be too happy about running on a treadmill next to somebody at the moment. Yeah. Kind of puffing and puffing next to me. 
Have you seen the outdoor gyms? Well, we, we my, my yeah. CrossFit gym, um, uh, Dawnless, they, they, they built five outdoor pods using scaffold yeah. and, and stuff. So, it's, you know, so brilliant. So, like, the last month, um, once, once the government allowed group exercise outdoors of five people, they built these pods outside. So, we, we did, we trained trained outside at the last, and you've, you've seen a fair few gyms work like that. No, I think it's a good idea. Yeah. You know, I think it, I think it's a good way to get people back and, you know, it's kind of a halfway house to, to coming back to the gym. It makes you a little bit more confident around, you know, going back to the gym overall. So I think it's a great idea. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's helped. Um, again, Daniel, I mean, as you heard from, from Neil earlier, but the, this, uh, Decentralization of of uh, resources, different kinds of resources: governments, health, doctors, town halls that you see in Germany. Um, private sector will always make money. So those guys at your fitness place, right? They know they have to get people in. So they will probably have just gone and got some scaffolding poles and put it up themselves, right? Yeah. Right, if we were waiting for the health and safety guy to come along sometime next year to give it a certificate, they'll not, they'll, they've got on with it, right? You've signed disclaimers, as you say, you know, because people are keen. There was a, a you know, if you leave it to private sector, which are the people who are the real heroes really in this are private sector people. The real heroes, okay, they will sort it out. I know inside the public sector, some people are dying to sort things out. They die, they, they try their best, but they get dumbed down by the huge weight of bureaucracy sitting on the head. The junior, middle, 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 senior, 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 senior management that's throughout all of these things. Made worse by you separate them into trusts and so on and so forth. So you have this duplication of the same middle management stuff multiplied by every trust in, in, in the UK. And that is, I heard somewhere, you know, the second largest employer in Europe is, is the NHS. And of course, we're nearly, uh, I think there's a Jeremy Clarkson thing there in the Times. I don't know if anybody, I haven't read it, but. Uh, Mark Henderson was telling me that Clarkson has said, you know, we, we've nailed everything to them. And the only thing is that you've got much better treatment with the same doctors, the same nurses, and they would have been paid more money if it had been private. Um, and I know that's a very simplistic argument, but it's no more simplistic than saying everything's public. And this is the only place in Britain, these are places where these conflicts occur whereas you've given every you've given your trust across to a bunch of faceless bureaucrats the ones we've seen on the tv probably will end up getting a chop because they've been daft enough to show themselves and speak out right uh, and they'll probably regret it um but the layer upon layer upon layer of people who've not been able to sort this out because either they don't have the funds you know, according to them, it, it will be money, according to them. It always is, isn't it? Um, but would private people have sorted it out? Our company is a private company. We sorted things out pretty damn quick. 
We didn't hang around for weeks. We didn't wait for anybody to tell us what to do. It was, it was obvious that there was a problem. It wasn't obvious exactly how bad the problem, but it was obvious it was a problem. It was obvious that people of my age and others and you, Daniel, and you, Neil, needed to go somewhere out of the way because if you got the virus, you wouldn't be able to run our company. It was very obvious that you, Boris, and, and it, this is not about being hard or being stupid or ho, 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 and doing all that kind of stuff. It's not about that. You can't fight the virus if you've got it. Yeah. And you've got it. That, that's a sackable offence. Right? If you get shot because you're wandering around with a big flag on your head going, I'm the boss, shoot me. If you want a war, you're dead. You're dead. The virus got you. Right? You presented yourself to the virus and it got you and nearly killed you. And you as well, Mark Hancock, and everybody else because you're in little rooms. We weren't in little rooms. We're still not in a little room. I've been sitting here since, it's driving us crackers, as people might see. <laughs> right? But I'm obeying the law because I'm not bothered about me getting I don't want to get it until they get a virus, until they get a, a immunization. I don't want to get it. I don't want to run the risk, but I'll run the risk depending on what's important to me. So if it was up, you know, I, I think I'm normal. I think that's normal behavior. Okay. So we did not, in fairness to us, act the way they did. And I think that unless they're going to learn these lessons, unless they're really going to stop this showboating, right, and learn lessons from it, it we're, we're in for a, you know, a torrid next few years. You need to sit down and say, this is exactly what I, Boris, did wrong. With my time over again, I would do something different. And I think the public will let them off with that. They won't yeah. let public health off, England off. I predict, right, like I've said before, public health England will be disbanded. You know, it, it's like it's like swimming with three arms. You don't need that third arm on your back about this long. That's it. Get rid of that. Chop that off. Get rid of them. Um, not it's not just saving money. They've got in the way, and you 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 had this organisation of people. What were they doing all the rest of the time, by the way? What what do they do the rest? Of the, it's absolutely crazy. We put up with this rubbish, and that's where your tax dollars go. I think what what they were doing was ignoring um, advice about PPE and and pandemic uh, scenario planning as well. Seemed to be what public health England had been up to. Um, yeah, um, well, South Korea had that. They, they had everything in line, as well as they used technology, as well as they got testing, all that. Yeah, it, it's a different. South Korea is a very advanced country, by the way. People, you know, think, oh, the, the you know, people running around with pointy hats on. They're, uh, they're not, right? They think you're running around with pointy hats on, by the way. If you ask Chris Leland how much of the world's economy. You know, the bulk of it is in Asia, between the Asian countries, between each other, not between them and us. Okay, so I know my place in the world, right? Okay, uh, I know who's bigger than us and has been for some time. Uh, but so to say that we can't learn a lesson from them is ridiculous. You can certainly learn a lesson, a big lesson from the Germans. Yeah. Uh, David, you've made a prediction there that they'll they'll disband 
Public Health England. You might well be right. I'll make a I'll make a follow up prediction. Sadly, that what will emerge will be something called England Public Health. It'll be exactly the same. Exactly the same people and organisation with a brand new logo. There was somebody. I'll let you. I'll let you into a story. There was there was an ex um, cabinet minister who once said to me, um, "All you need to whenever you're starting something new, all you need is a logo, a lunch, and a launch. Job done." And uh, he was joking, of course. So I should just point that out. Yeah. But that's what will happen. There'll be a brand new logo. There'll be a bit of a celebratory lunch. It'll have its launch. And we'll be back with exactly the same thing again. Unless you have got the genuine courage to take it on, the but the entire system. Because that's one cog in a much bigger machine, which we've talked about today. And if in it, that's really what probably needs to happen, to be truthful. But that's yeah. going to take a lot of courage. Well, it's going to take a lot of courage, but I mean, I've got news for Boris. You know, most of those people didn't vote for him. Okay, you you would have to be mad if you're one of them to vote Tory, because it's totally against what it you know what what they say they will do. It's totally against what you really want to happen, which is a form of socialism. So you're not losing any votes by breaking it up. In fact, you might you might win some votes, and you should you should learn from the people who normally don't vote Tory, who voted for him. You know, yeah. he needs to keep, that's all he needs. He doesn't need the ones that he's given money to. They would, they'll never vote. There was a great thing where a teacher the other day came on and said, yeah, I think you told me, Peter, said, yeah. uh, uh, you know, thanks very much, Boris, but if you think I'm going to vote for you, you've got another thing coming. We should yeah. have this money three years ago. Think, yeah. Yeah. I know, I, I, you're right. It was all over, all over social media, things like that. And I just, as somebody who's, you know, not in the public sector. I just thought, well, you know, the 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 fact of the matter is, you don't have a public sector without a, pri a thriving private sector. One is for the other, just basic. And I, I, you're just saying, well, you know, and thanks very much. Yeah. So that's um. We'll we'll keep on bureaucracy um or faces bureaucrats as Peter called them um and we'll we'll move. We've got a question about Brexit and. How that's moving. I think we we did a podcast on this two three weeks ago now. Um, any 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 updates worth worth sharing? Anything good happening? Well, we saw again last night on the news. It's it is like Groundhog Day, Dan, because we saw Michelle Barnier once again saying, you know, the the UK are not negotiating. They're not being serious. The only difference was to go with his Hermes tie on this occasion. He had a mask on that he'd sort of pulled down. Uh, that was the only change from the last several years of iterations of, of this so it does seem uh we're getting sort of mixed messages and, and peter or david or chris may know a little more um or have a bit more insight but we're getting mixed messages where the uk broadly is saying well we think we're being reasonable and sensible and we think there will be some sort of settlement and agreement and then the you know the move music from mr barnier saying oh they you know they're, they're just being unreasonable they're not moving on these key points um and things like you know fisheries policies and agreements being mentioned so i'm not really clear i know they're meeting again i think next week um so there's a you know there's a there's an ongoing cycle of meetings and negotiations uh clearly we're you know we're now starting to run out of time we're towards the end of july a lot of the politicians disappear in particularly the european ones for the whole of august um and sometime in september they re-emerge blinking in the daylight and say well you know where are we with this so i think 
in reality, you've only got a very short window now for any sort of agreement to be made. Uh, and it's, it's anyone's guess as to whether they will come together and, and come up with some sort of deal. Uh, I don't know what everybody else thinks about well, it. I think you could you could go back to watch episode, if this is episode 27, I think it might have been episode 24 or 25 when we did the Brexit one. I think you could just go back and watch that because we said then, and that yeah. must have been three, four weeks ago, that yeah, they were meeting, at that point they, were, they just met in Europe, they were meeting in London. You're right, Neil, there was another meeting this week. I read that there was there's, there's going to be informal talks next week. I don't know what the difference between that and just talks is, but whatever. And then the week after that, there's some more formal face-to-face talks. It's just a charade. And you're right, Michelle Barnier saying, you're not being fair. David Frost for, for, the, for the UK saying, well, you're not being fair. I, 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 you know, honestly, tune out of it because it's just positioning and it's game playing. And mm. what will happen is, as we said three weeks ago, in a few months' time, we'll get towards the 11th hour or 11 o'clock, 59 minutes, and miraculously, there's an agreement and off we go. We're out of Europe. We came out of Europe at the end of January. This is yeah. just... You know, this is this is just a little bit of transition, but we're going, we're out anyway. This is it, and we're out at the end of the year. There'll, of course, there'll be a deal. I'm certain of that. I'll leave you. Um, D- D- I think it was David Frost, who's, as I say, is the is the chief negotiator for the UK. I don't think he was the original author of this line, but he repeated it a few months ago. He said, "Diplomacy is the art of letting someone else have your way," and that's exactly what's happening right now. It's they are trying to let each other have their way, and at the end. But walk away and go, well, I've saved enough face, you've saved enough face, champion. And we'll stay on the EU, Chris. There was um, the EU obviously agreed a, a really large stimulus package at the, I think it was the beginning of this week now, it seems a long time ago, maybe 750 billion euros. And I think we're expecting to see quite a large lift in the markets, but it, it, it never really happened, did it? Yeah, I think you know, the reality is, is they've been talking about this package for a long time now. And what had happened is that investors had already priced in the package and there was a belief that it was going to happen. So what you'd actually seen is the European equities performed very well. And actually just ahead of the package being agreed on and announced, you actually saw some choppiness there. And you also yeah. saw choppiness in the euro as well. So I think it had already been in investors' minds, there'd already been a decision taken because they'd come out and said, look, this is what we are planning on doing. Um, I actually think it's a good thing. And I think it has shown some unity in Europe overall. I mean, the European Union, it's such a difficult place to be because you've got a mixture of very economically strong countries and quite economically weak countries. And then obviously one supports the other. And then you get something such as the coronavirus, which then exacerbates that gap overall. So from my perspective, um, you know, I, I think it's shown real unity. And I think that's been quite a positive thing for investors overall. Yeah, and certainly, you know, you mentioned the euro and it being choppy and you mentioned the euro being strong at the start. And I'd echo that. I got some cash out of the machine the other day. I got 200 euros out and it cost me 201 pounds. <laughs> Is <laughs> <laughs> that from the airport? Or? No, no, that was just a bank in a bank in Ronda. It's more or less, you know, obviously the pound and the euro. There's not much difference anyway. Oh. And then by, the time, by the time you pay the bank's commission of say, you know, one percent or whatever, it it tips it. Yeah, so <laughs> not good. Um, but I think that's probably just to 
stay on you for this one bit, Chris. I mean, because we often get asked, and there's a question in there about the strength of the euro. Does does that affect the the, the holdings and true potential portfolios? Um, so I don't know if you want to talk about like just in a couple of minutes, Chris. Really, the multi-currency approach that we have. Yeah, sure. You know, I think everything that we do within the true potential portfolio proposition is around diversification. And that can be around you know, equity holdings, bond holdings, but it's also around currency as well. So what you find is if you're a UK investor, the key movements is basically how sterling moves versus the euro or the US dollar. Because what you tend to find is that foreign assets, most of them are priced in US dollar. But obviously, if the European assets, they'll be priced in, in euro. There are all the currency movements within there, but, but they're the two main ones. So... I think from our perspective, currency can be seen as, as one of two things. It can be seen as a way to make money. So people can take active currency positions in a belief that they will make money from it. But it can also be seen as a way to mitigate risk within the portfolios. So if you don't want currency to dominate the overall investment return, then you can look at ways to actually reduce that currency risk. So things like hedging, options, even just holding other currencies as a way to, to kind of play that. So I think from our perspective, um, if we look at euro strength overall, we have one manager that has a, a long euro short US dollar position. So they're betting on the euro going up against the US dollar. And that's done really well. Um, so from our perspective, um, you know, euro strength, it's a mixed picture overall within the portfolios, but we do have an active position in there which has benefited from it, which which is great. Okay, thanks, Chris. Um, gentlemen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start, start to wrap it up. I've just checked the time and we're, we're starting to relax on an hour now. So, um, um, and, and, and we've, we've covered a lot, but there's still a lot more to, to, to cover as well. So, thanks everybody for the questions and apologies. If we didn't get to some of them about, say, the United States and Kanye West and things like that, we'll, uh, we'll revisit those at another time because there's plenty to go on uh, with that. But just just to finish up, um, in, in terms of Chris, you, you mentioned two weeks ago you you, you went to a restaurant uh, with, with with your partner um, and it was quiet. Um, are you going back tomorrow? You think it's and then you, yeah. you, was it well, we actually um, we we went out for dinner last friday so so basically a week ago seven days ago um and it was much busier you, know, you yeah. could start to see that i think people have become a, a little bit more confident about going out overall there were a lot of young people out as well you know obviously younger people may feel that they're a little bit less susceptible to to covid19 whether that's that's right or wrong um i think from my perspective probably just a quiet weekend this weekend actually i'm quite looking forward to relaxing Maybe a bit of reading, watching some TV. So, pretty, pretty lazy weekend. Lazy weekend. Peter, another haircut and a visit to a restaurant, do you think? Uh, well, actually, 50% right. I'm go I am actually going for the first pint and curry since oh. since March. So, that's the plan for Saturday. I'm going to take a mask in case I nip into a shop on the way. I need to just remember to take it off before I drink a first, my first pint of Stella. Well, I'll give you a tip as well, Peter. Once you put your mask on after you've had the curry, that's all you'll be able to smell. That, that is a side effect. <laughs> and, uh, I went out for a pizza a couple of weeks ago and it, it had quite a lot of basil on it. And I put the mask on afterwards and all I could smell the rest of the day was really basil inside my mask. So 
make sure you bring some mint, I think, is a top tip for any mask wearers. Um, Neil, how about yourself? Uh, well, I'm off for a, a socially distanced barbecue at a friend's house tomorrow night. Uh, so we'll probably take our take our own crockery, cutlery, drinks, glasses, all that sort of palaver. But I think things like barbecues are great because we did the same a couple of weeks ago at our place. And, you know, you're at, well, when I get on a barbecue, I'm just totally incinerating all those burgers and sausages. So there's no, there's no virus is going to survive that. No, and the good news is, as an accountant, Neil, I did say I would only make one joke, but that was a good <laughs> Um When you bring guests around the your house, you should get them to bring their own food and drink as well. So if you save well, loads of yeah, that, sorry, that has occurred to us, Dan, and that has happened on occasion during this time. So uh, it's a good suggestion. Good suggestion. And David? Um, the, the, the theme that Chris mentioned there, I think, is quite an important theme, full stop, diversification. So diversification of where you're holding your money is a principle that we've held dear for. That was the lesson that some of us learned 30, 40 years ago, and it's never ever changed because it's a principle that's been around since humans. Okay, so there are, I was once asked, what what will last longer, you know, the uh, a writing pad or an iPhone? What do you think will last longer? And the answer is a writing pad, and the reason is because it's been there a long time. So some things which have found a use over a very long period of time. Diversification is one of those things. Daniel, that uh, uh, so when you when you if you apply that diversification to uh, government, if you apply it to all all manner of things, it is a it's a natural occurring. You know, it's a diversity in nature. It's naturally occurring uh, 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 situation. Uh, the, the I'm, what I'm not certain about is. You know, we've also got a we've got a hotel and uh, a facility that uh, has luxury apartments uh, for for people going to go in the country for a holiday. They 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 are fully booked. We are fully booked for the next two months. Okay, the the restaurant and hotel is fully booked. So I I hear you know, and we don't have. Necessary. Let's just say we have a cross section of the population, ranging from quite old people to reasonably young people. Uh, it's one thing in common: uh, they enjoy uh, uh, luxury food and uh, and accommodation, etc. And we are booked solid. Particularly the South Catering units, where you can be on your own. You can have like a, a barbecue if you wanted there next door to somebody you don't need to speak to, yeah. you know, uh, and you're in the country. So I think it, there are winners and losers, Daniel, in this economic return to work, uh, no doubt about it. Um, so what will I be doing? Um, Pulling I'm, pints. I'm, 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 I actually won't be going for a, a, a pint. Um, Get in. If it's fully booked, you'll not be allowed in. I might. I mean, I, I've sneaked into the hotel on a couple of occasions to get a, 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 a sneaky cappuccino and things like this on the basis that um, I might be checking up on them, that kind of thing. So we'll um, we, we, uh, we've not we we have we'll have people around undoubtedly, as you know. We'll have 
children or, and or grandchildren. Uh, strange thing happened the other day, Dan, just so you know. Um, uh, we've got a, a German Shepherd dog on the property. Um, they're always handy to have them knocking around in case you've got any little tourists knocking around who fancy, haven't been bitten for a while. So we've got that as a, as a hobby. Um, he's learned to open the door. Right. Now, here's the thing, right? This is the thing about the Germans. They're quite clever Germans. Even the dogs, the German Shepherd dogs are quite clever. This is a door. It's not like a handle. That's a piece of cake. Cats can do that. This is learned with his paw to like tw almost twist the round knob and he's in. So we're just sitting in the kitchen. He come running in, barked at us. You know, the cheek. He's in my kitchen and the dog comes running in from outside, barks at me and Sylvia, then runs off. And I go, what happened? We shut the door, he come back in. So <laughs> lock the door against the dog now. Um, so anyway, that's Sylvia. We might watch a program. One of Sylvia's favorite programs is watching Peace Interceptors because she's always, she, she ranges from tears of them to pepper spray them, to set the dog on them. And then and when they're really, really naughty, they get all three. <laughs> right? So and it's like this thing, like like a Roman crowd with a thumb permanently down, get the bad guys, go on, get them. But I was laughing when it was in County Durham, um, where there was an operator watching these idiots. Um, having a fight or whatever, you know, but not a proper fight. And they sitting the policeman on the way in. Uh, we've got them on CTV. I repeat, be careful. <laughs> CCTV's on. <laughs> when they're trying to get up and beat the hell out of you, you're not allowed to subdue them. I'm not not getting into the way the American cops go on, but I think uh, British police, left to their own devices, they're normally pretty damn good at what they do, and they've got a pretty hard situation in what they would like to do versus what the law allows them to do. Um, we're very lucky to have the police, especially the army and things, which, which have, they've been the real heroes, the way they've organized things during this thing. They, they rarely get a mention, but you know, the, the, it's not a very good place to be in the army right now, just standing in car parks, um, you know, they click and collect, <laughs> click and collect your test, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty damn good. Brilliant. Well. I didn't answer your question. I'm, I'm not going out. You're not going out. <laughs> um, okay, well, no getting arrested, anybody. Peter or Chris, and you two are going out. Neil, no causing antisocial ructions at the barbecue, so you don't get arrested either. And David, you'll be okay because you're not going out. So. Uh, yeah, if I went out, I'd get arrested. But, yeah. um, you know. And I'll I'll keep away from the Guardia Seville over here this weekend. Well, I think this thing on my leg, on my ankle, you know, as well, that nobody's been around to check on that for ages. Well, they, they don't have to, it just buzzes got GPS on it, so. No, no, I mean, I work for an IT firm, I mean, right. <laughs> we've had that taken out, don't worry. Grand. Okay, gentlemen, uh, thank you, and ladies and gentlemen in the audience, thank you so much for listening, watching. Um, I think, as we've said before, Please like this video, please do subscribe, it really helps us, and please continue to input and share your questions and ideas with us. Thanks everybody, have a lovely weekend. Cheerio. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.